Welcome back to Nevertheless, She Persisted, a podcast with Sadie Sutton. Today I'm here with my dad. Hello, Sadie. Hi, dad. Um, and we're going to talk about what his experience was as I was going through depression and anxiety and what he has to offer to other parents, advice, all that kind of stuff. So yeah. Sounds Is there like anything? Good, yeah. Like a good time. Is there anything you want to start with? I'm just looking forward to the conversation. Okay. <laughs> Alrighty. Um, we're also joined by Posey, the doggy. Okay. Is there anything you want to share about yourself before we start? Well, probably the most important thing is that I'm your dad, and that obviously it's it's been a really important two plus years, two and a half years in terms of your growth and our growth as a family, and so I'm looking forward to this conversation. Cool. So first question is pretty broad, um, but tell me about your perception of me while I was living at home and what your experience of my mental illness and its progression was like? Well, the I, I, I'll start where we started to notice that clearly there were changes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this goes back to... We, meaning? Uh, your mom and, and, and myself, mm-hmm. and so uh, my wife and, and myself. So this would have been the first, uh, probably in late January of your eighth grade year. And so... That's where at least I started to notice it. Uh, mommy, I bet, uh, started to notice it uh, you know, earlier because she's more perceptive about these things. But I noticed it when we had out-of-town guests for dinner who uh, came over for dinner, and they had kids that were very similar to your age and your siblings' ages. So what would normally have been a situation where the adults sit down and, and, and trade stories and the kids go off and have fun together was not that because you never came out of your room and so I don't even remember this so that 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 was a clue to me that wow this is definitely unusual Uh, yeah because everybody else uh, had a great time and everybody else was enjoying the company uh, but you weren't and I do remember that I had to go up and ask you to come down even for dinner much less to socialize with our guests and that was definitely something I noticed that was just you know, I didn't understand why it was happening. I just knew that it was something that was very unusual. And I, t- I interpreted it as, wow, this is not being very respectful or welcoming of our guests. Mm-hmm. Um, I hadn't any understanding or appreciation for the fact that you were suffering and that what was really going on was depression. And so that was my, my first perception that something was up. Um, I had no idea because I wasn't educated in this uh, at all. But, but that was my first, I'd say... Um, perception that something wasn't quite right in January of your eighth grade year. Gotcha. So what was, as it, I like, my depression got worse and I was more depressed and that started to affect us more. What was that like as like a dad knowing that your daughter was going through that? You know, I'd I'd say that in the beginning, again, I didn't have the tools myself to really um, be helpful uh, and to really sort of uh, be the best participant in all this I unfortunately uh, was you know much more focused on 
let me see if I can solve this for you. Let me see if I can sort of drag you out of this. Um, and what I mean by that specifically is, and you remember this, I'm sure, Sadie, where you would um, have a tough time getting out of bed in the morning for mm-hmm. school. And rather than taking a deep breath and validating what it was you must have been feeling, I instead tried to cajole you out of bed. I would try and tell you, hey, it's really important that you get to school because this is an important moment in your life academically. And these all kind of, all things that were well-intentioned, but unfortunately of zero help to you. Um, uh, and so, uh, so I'd say that you know what, what I should have been doing, and I didn't learn this until we got help from people that really knew what was going on, is to validate first and foremost and to be able to say, I can just see that you're suffering. I can, I can sense that you're suffering given that you're not the kind of person that doesn't get out of bed for school in the morning. And so this is very unusual for you. And, and, and first and foremost, you must be suffering. And I want you to know that I know you're suffering. Mm-hmm. These are things that I just, it wasn't part of my toolkit. I, I, yeah. it, it was the last thing on my, my, my sort of, my, my, my kind of uh, courses of uh, action, for lack of a better word. So, yeah. So anyway, so uh, that sort of began, I think, uh, a bit of a period where, you know, your mom and me were ham-fisted in terms of how to handle this. Uh, mm-hmm. We were, you know, wanted to do um, kind of everything possible to help you, but unfortunately this was new for us and it was new territory. And not surprisingly, we, we acted like rookies through this and, and, and probably weren't very helpful to you. And, um, but, but eventually, you know, we, we, we got some, some advice and help and, and skills, uh, thanks to a lot of good people. You talk about a lot about like learning how to validate and understand and kind of meeting me at where I was at a lot that you like learned is that the question is, what have you learned in the past year? Would you say that's the main thing? Um, I'd say the first thing, yes, is the, is the brief answer. I, I think the thing that I learned the most throughout this, these last two and a half years has been the importance of validation. You know, there's a, a whole book of other insights and things mm-hmm. that um, we've been very thankful to learn. But I, I would say that the most important thing that I continue to take away is the importance of validation. And I'd say that that was something I just didn't, I didn't really kind of even understand or appreciate probably for the first year. Yeah. Um, but, but I do remember in my uh, visits to Boston and sitting in those sessions with uh, Blaze and his, his organization in terms of the parent Monday meetings uh, uh, that went on, that's where I learned the importance of validation. Mm-hmm. Um, so I went to Boston and left being at home. What was that like to send me away? So as a parent, it's tough because, you know, you grow up um, as, you know, I, I grew up as part of a big family and, and everybody was always at home in terms of the kids. And then the only time the kids leave the house is uh, on, a, on a kind of consistent basis is when you go off to college. And so for me, I never anticipated that I'd be in a situation where I would be having an, uh, an, an offspring, a, a kid go off for anything other than college. So, so just when that topic was raised to us that, uh, that people thought that might be the best thing for you and your mental health and, and, and being able to develop the skills to be able to, to navigate depression and anxiety, mm-hmm. you know, it wasn't anything that I expected, anticipated, or candidly wanted. And, um, but that said, after 
a pretty long period where you were suffering and clearly things were not progressing forward. Uh, it was more like one step forward, two steps back, two mm -hmm. steps forward, one step back. It was treading water is probably the best way to describe it over the course of a year that when it was a very clear recommendation from really skilled service uh, providers and, and um, professionals here uh, in our home area said, we really think the right thing for Sadie would be to go to one of these programs where they're really good at this. Mm -hmm. and, and so it was one of those things where it wasn't anything that we thought would be in our future, um, but eventually when it was actually teed up to us on the heels of a year, year and a half of seeing you struggle, um, that that's when we took a deep breath and said, well, these people really know what they're doing and they're clearly focused on what's best for Sadie and what's best for our family. And we took some time to think about it. And eventually we, we took you know, their recommendation. Mm -hmm. And I'm really glad we did, by yeah. the way, which I'm sure we'll get to. But, um, but that was scary for us because that was not something I think any parent really thinks about uh, ever doing when they have an eighth grader. Mm -hmm. uh, it's just not something that uh, ever comes up. Yeah. Um, so I have been gone for the past year and a half, two years. What's that like not having me at home? It's... Uh, Incomplete is probably the best way to describe it. It's, it's like uh, missing a, a key piece of the puzzle, uh, a very big piece of the puzzle. Mm -hmm. and so so it, it's one of those things where you just always know there's one empty seat at the dinner table. Uh, there's you know one empty seat in the car. Uh, there's, there, you're, you're never complete uh, is the short answer. And, and that's a long time to go, uh, about a year and a half without mm -hmm. having the family together. And granted, we're very thankful in that we get uh, opportunities to, to get together as a yeah, family during see. this 18-month this period. But it's hard. And so what you do is you think about the future, when the family's going to be back together. And the second thing you think about is how much better uh, uh, things are for you and your, your, your own journey. And mm -hmm. And that's what I think uh, keeps you going in, in, in a good way, which is you just know that this is the right thing for you and this is the right thing for our family. And you've got to work your butt off to make sure that, that is the case. All of us yeah. have to work, obviously. But there's no hiding the fact that it's an incomplete feeling, uh, both, both here and anytime um, we're not together. What was the most difficult part of the past two or three years? most difficult part um well you you highlighted one of them and so I'll, I'll highlight a number of things that were quite difficult i don't know which one was the most difficult one was uh, making the decision to get a higher level of care that would require you to be um yeah away from us mm -hmm. uh, and specifically when you went to boston that, yeah. that was easily you know one of the most difficult things that we've done over the last uh two years um, I'd say the second thing is just seeing you suffer um, as a parent. That's um, you, you, you'd much rather see yourself suffer. You'd much rather see anyone else in the world suffer other than your child. And so that was, you know, absolutely, um, you know, gut wrenching is to see your your child suffer and to not know uh, what to do about it um, and and to not know how long that will go on. And, and so that's a very 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 tough thing to go through as a as a, as a parent mm -hmm. um those are probably the two hardest things which is to see your child suffer and and to then make a voluntary choice 
to actually have your child go away. Um, that is, um, regardless of the fact that we all felt strongly that it was the best thing for you and your health mm -hmm. and your recovery, um, that's incredibly hard to do. It's a lot easier if somebody else makes that decision yeah. and you don't have a choice. Um, very, very different when it's a voluntary choice. So our life looks a lot different now than it did two years ago. We have like a really strong relationship. Um, our family unit is a lot more intact. I'm a lot more open with you guys and obviously I'm happier and healthy. What do you think it would look like now if you hadn't chosen to send me to Boston? Well, I don't know for sure, but I can tell you talking to other families that have had similar situations where their daughter or son suffered from uh, depression and anxiety is that everyone that we've spoken to says that if they had it to do over again, they would have taken more aggressive action earlier in mm -hmm. their child's life. And so for that, I'm very thankful and I give credit really to your mom um, for, for mo moving fast and moving swiftly with regards to getting help for you mm -hmm. and for us. And so um, it, that that literally, you know, was everything. And and I, you know, kind of I was very much the follower on that. And normally I'm the leader in a lot of situations and contexts, but but not here. Really, mm -hmm. it was it was Jamie, it was uh, your mom that took the lead, and I'm just so thankful she did. And so I'd say that um, if we hadn't done those things, I think it would be we'd be much worse off based on all the things I've heard from other families. Mm -hmm. In that to see you suffer for another year for a relatively selfish um, uh, focus, which would have been us to have you at home uh, for another year. But not to minimize that, like that would have, sending me away was very difficult. A lot of people choose to not do that because it's so difficult. No, this it's not true. uncommon. Oh no, for sure. The, the common path is not to send mm -hmm. your child away um, to get further help. And so what I'm saying when I say um, the, um, you know, kind of easier decision in some ways. Uh, well, not easier. Um, if we would have made the decision to keep you here for another year, mm -hmm. I think it would have been a relatively selfish decision on the part of your mom and myself because we just want you home. And, yeah. and that's a very selfish thing when I say it in that, that context because that makes us feel good. Um, now that said, it was incredibly clear that you were suffering in such an intensive way that... It, it was one of those things where you just have to immediately let go of that that uh, sort of Norman Rockwell-like picture mm -hmm. where the family must be together and we're going to you know, kind of pretend like everything is perfect. Um, you just set that aside and say, this just isn't the time for us to all be together. Yeah. Uh, what it is the time for is for Sandy to get the help that she needs. And, and that was an incredibly difficult decision to make. But in hindsight, I'm very, very glad that we made it. And it came at great disruption mm -hmm. because you were in the middle of your school year. Um, uh, you know, very, very difficult in terms of the, at this just point. Just started now, high was, school. Just yeah. started high school. So you're in the middle of your freshman year in high school. The last thing in the world you wanted to do was to leave. literally leave yeah. school in the middle of your freshman year and to go to another part of the country, to the other side of the country. Um, these things are hard. Uh, they're mm -hmm. very, very difficult to do. Um, so that you wouldn't change. Is there anything you wish you could do differently? Is there anything? Well, for sure. I mean, I've lost count of the things I wish that uh, we could have done differently. You know, it sure feels like before, for, for me at least, and I don't know if you agree with this, but for me, a real turning point was 
several weeks into Three East in mm-hmm. Boston. That was a turning point for, for me, uh, I think, I both agree. for us, and, and it sounds like for you as well. I feel like there were countless mistakes made on my behalf, on my part, um, in the one year prior to that uh, moment. And a lot of it was because I had never experienced something like this before with mm-hmm. a child. Um, I, I didn't know if there were certain things you were doing just to be obstinate uh, versus um, it coming from another yeah. point, uh, which clearly it was. And and then there's just the helplessness that you feel as a father or a mother um, in this situation. And so, so I've lost, lost count of the things that uh, I wish I had a, a second chance to do mm-hmm. over again. But they were largely, you know, during that time frame when you first... Uh, had symptoms of depression and anxiety up until call it the three or four week point uh, mm-hmm. after you started at three E's. Yeah, I agree. I know for me, there was so long during that year where I was like, they must see, like they must know that I'm suffering. They must know that I'm unhappy. And it so wasn't obvious because there's so many things that look like just like a typical teenager rebelling. That's right. But kids are like in reality really upset and don't understand what their identity is. So I know one thing I got from Boston was understanding that people don't know what's going on inside my head. Unless I say it, they never will. Yeah. So that I really wish I could have done that in a different way. Well, you, you know, the good news is, and you already said this earlier, is that we now have an open line of communication that we never enjoyed mm-hmm. prior to Three East. And I'm so thankful for that because, mm-hmm. as you said... For the year and a half before um, Three East in Boston, there was little communication. And yeah. it would be easy if I were in your shoes to say, well, geez, mom and dad absolutely must understand what's going on yeah. because I'm behaving in this way, which is so unusual. But also keep in mind that as a mother and a father, you're pretty much taught, so to speak, by society that, hey, just know that when your kids become teenagers... <laughs> It's going to be ridiculous and you're going to just, it's going to yeah. be crazy and you're not going to understand them anymore and there's going to be this. and So you're kind of trained for 12 years They're going to gonna get distance ready. themselves. They're going to not want to be associated. They're, They're focused on their friends. They're yeah. focused on their friends. So, so you're taught to anticipate mm-hmm. this. You're trained to be ready for this. So when it happens, you just kind of assume, okay, well, that's teenage life. And yeah. Not fun for anybody, but I guess this is what everybody told us about. Mm-hmm. And so, not surprisingly, and I'm not forgiving us for this, but it's why your, your, your mom and me basically tried to do the best we could, but didn't quite understand that this, there was a lot more going on mm-hmm. that we just had zero appreciation for. Um, yeah. So, so that, uh, chalk that one up to everybody, you know, foreshadowing yeah. that teenage years were going to be... Every TV show but, has that message, every book, everything yeah. in society. I forgive you guys because... One thing that I've learned, especially recently, is that no one can be the perfect parent for a kid. Like, the parent, the perfect parent for me is different from Ivy and from Ruby and Atticus. And I'm, especially being your oldest child, you have no point of reference, nothing to go off of. All trial and errors. There's no way for you to do it perfectly, and especially because I expected you to understand without saying anything. I never would expect for you guys to hold that against yourselves. Thank you very much. It, uh... It's tough because as a as a father and a mother, you you go back and relive. Oh, geez, why did I do that, or why didn't I see that coming, mm-hmm. and why didn't I respond differently? And it's it's tough. Uh, I suppose this is why we're all human. Yeah, or it's an example of us being human in that we don't 
behave in the perfect way every time. We don't, we're not um, omnipotent uh, in terms mm-hmm. of understanding what people are going through. And this is the, this is the struggle that is life. And there's this famous saying that life is struggle. And, mm-hmm. and it's true. I think it, a lot of life is the struggle of life. It and wouldn't be life if it wasn't hard. It, it wouldn't be life. You're you not living. You need to have the highs and the lows yeah. to be able to appreciate it. Yeah, I agree. So the name of the podcast, Nevertheless, She Persisted. Would you tell the story of how you first found that saying? Okay, so this was, um, this predates your experience in Montana. Mm-hmm. So uh, we were given the recommendation by your care providers mm-hmm. of Three East that they thought that rather than going back home and going back into a traditional school environment, they strongly recommended that you go to a therapeutic boarding school before you transition back mm-hmm. to a normal school. And so, of course, uh, your mom and I were thrown for a loop. We're like, oh my gosh, we've got to you know, figure out if we agree with this recommendation. Mm-hmm. And then secondly, we need to find the right therapeutic boarding school. Yeah. And so, uh, so that was not an easy process. So your mom and I uh, did a lot of work to try and mm-hmm. become proficient in what therapeutic boarding schools were and, and, and where they were located and which one we thought would be the best match for you. And so we did a bunch of work and visited a lot of therapeutic mm-hmm. boarding schools. At the end of the day, we, we found a wonderful one in Montana, mm-hmm. near Whitefish, Montana. And there's a little village there called Whitefish. Mm-hmm. And there's a little gift shop that sells t-shirts and cards and little trinkets. And I remember that um, we had just come back from visiting the school and uh, we were staying one night uh, in Whitefish. And your mom and I went walking around before dinner time just to sort of, you know, uh, check out the town. And we were in this you know, kind of state of mind that was cautiously optimistic because mm-hmm. we had just had a wonderful visit to this therapeutic boarding school. Also anxious and nervous and, oh my gosh, I can't believe we're having to make a decision mm-hmm. that's going to impact our daughter's life for the next year or year mm-hmm. and a half of her life. And so there was a lot of weight to the moment. And so we went into this delightful little gift shop. And there was Meriwether's um, gifts, Meriwether's yeah. gifts in, in, in Whitefish, uh, Montana. And it was, you know, a series of, of sayings that were put on coffee mugs and t-shirts and whatnot that just couldn't help but make you smile and laugh and whatnot. And I remember I went to the back of the store and I saw this one, um, uh, I think it was like a, a pencil case holder or something mm-hmm. like that. It was a little bag. And on it, it, it said, nevertheless, she persisted. And now that saying was first used in a political context, mm-hmm. uh, if you look up online, where uh, a male senator, I think, was, was basically saying that uh, this woman, you know, kept talking despite the fact that he asked her to stop talking mm-hmm. and he said that nevertheless she persisted. So, so it became sort of used for, you know, kind of uh, female empowerment, mm-hmm. which um, I didn't know the full story of it. When I read that phrase, and I think it's incredible and inspirational, I hope everybody wears it on their t-shirt, um, but when I read it, I couldn't help but think of you, and I couldn't help but think of all the things that have been thrown at you as a young girl, you know, from the time you were 13 years old, 12 years old, and the fact that here you were in Boston, persisting in the face of a whole lot of things that you never asked for, um, were never your fault. And yet they happened, and you had a decision to make, which is you could uh, uh, basically fall over and just sort of, uh, you know, kind of not want to get up, mm-hmm. or you can make the decision to persist. And I was 
always, always just amazed, flabbergasted, inspired by the fact that you have continued to make decisions to persist. And so when I saw that little saying, it just, uh, you know, it caused me to cry. It caused me to just be so excited for you that nevertheless you persist. Mm -hmm. And so I sent, I think that, that to you in an email, if I recall, I might, something like that. Something like that. And it was funny because ever since that moment, when you and I communicate, Mm -hmm. especially in the Google docs environment, where this is our primary means of communication outside of our limited phone calls, you and I both always end the session with PS, nevertheless, she persisted. Mm -hmm. And so that's the story. Yeah. And I felt like that went, had a lot of symbolic and emotional meaning, but also was very universal to a lot of people who have struggled with various things. Uh, So if you have me in Congress, maybe it also applies. (laughs) (laughs) Amen. And it absolutely does. But to your point, Sadie, I do think it really is an incredible saying not just for young girls but mm-hmm. for young boys that might be struggling as well which is that decision to persist which is nevertheless in spite of all of these mm-hmm. things the weight of the world and, and 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 the tragedy that befalls us that these incredibly strong young you know boys and girls or young women and young men that they make the decision to persist it is incredibly um, inspirational, and mm-hmm. I, I'm inspired by you every day, and I'm inspired by your classmates at school and your peers at Three East, and I just I'm so thankful that you make that decision every day to persist. And I know it's not easy. I I should say, I I can see that it's not easy. I can't say that I know because uh, you know I haven't gone through what you've gone and what your peers have gone through, but it is just inspiring to watch all of you get up each day and make the decision to persist because that therein is a, a fulfilled life. And, uh, and and I'm glad we've taken that as our slogan. And it always makes me smile to type that mm-hmm. kind of phrase. And it always makes me smile to read that phrase too. Yeah. With that, we want to end. I've been ending the episodes with how we end our correspondence as well. So ready? We say it together. P-S. Nevertheless, she persisted. persisted.